0: Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hello and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast, my friends. My name is Thomas Frank and I have just returned from an accent acquisition conference, which I can say was indubitably a success. (laughs) What's up, guys? This is the College Info Geek Podcast, a show that helps you become a more effective student. And today, I actually want to talk about how to deal with rejection. So, a friend of mine asked me if I would write a script for uh, the channel that they run about this topic, and I kind of want to use this episode to gather my thoughts about it so I can write a better script, but also, I think in a podcast format, there's more detail, there's more length, and I can sort of uh, dive into some more of the stories and some more of my thoughts on this, and I know that rejection is is an important topic for students because as students, you don't have as much experience under your belt. You don't have as many instances where you have been accepted to do things. Um, you haven't. You just haven't. You know, lived enough. So you can often feel like uh, you're just not qualified for certain things. You can feel a little bit of an imposter syndrome, and I think uh, this is a topic that deserves to be talked about. So this might be a bit of a shorter episode. Um, I don't know if it's like gonna fill a whole half an hour or a whole hour. I don't know if I could fill that much time talking about this topic, but I do have a few stories of my own rejections to talk to you about, and um, some thoughts on rejections. And I want to start with some thoughts. So if if you're afraid of rejection, one of the most important things that I want to impart to you is that uh, if you get rejected, it doesn't mean that it's like the end of your ability to do whatever thing you want to do. Rarely does one rejection ever bar you from that. Um, I'm trying to think of like examples of things that would. Like, Here's one one example. There was a conference called TEDx Youth. If you're familiar with TED Talks, there are these like uh, I believe they're typically 18 minute talks. Sometimes they're longer. Sometimes they're shorter. But they're just really inspiring talks about big ideas. And um, the TED conference spawned a version of TED called TEDx, which anybody can run and organize. And a couple of years ago in Des Moines, uh, actually this was this was back in yeah 2013, right around the end of when I was getting out of college. Uh, they were doing a TEDx youth event in Des Moines. Now, TEDx can be, uh, you can have anybody speaking at it. Anybody who gets accepted by the program organizers, they can do that. But a TEDx youth is specifically people who are college seniors or younger. So I applied to do it because I was still a college senior. I wanted to share my story about College Info Geek. I wanted to do, you know, just kind of share some lessons that I learned. And I wrote a, Great application. They liked the application enough to have me come in and do an interview, and uh, met all the people in the room with the interview. Talk with them for a while, and I think they really liked my pitch. So they told me, "Yeah, we'll let you know uh, in a few weeks what we decide." And I left, and I decided to, "Okay, I'm going to wait." And um, well, they never actually called me back. So. One day, and I remember this vividly. I was in Target looking to buy a new water boiler for my for making tea in the morning because the one I got from Amazon broke. And uh, I get a call from one of the organizers. And I'm like, "Oh, finally, they're going to tell me!" And I answer the phone. I'm like, "Hey, what's up?" And she says, "Hey, we remember we talked at the uh, the TEDx Youth uh, application thing. We would like you to come speak at this other event." And I was like, "Oh." Well, that's cool, but um, did you guys make a decision on the TEDxU thing? And she goes, oh, my God, did we not tell you? Oh, well, we decided to go with somebody else. So what ended up happening is they had narrowed the last slot in the conference down to me and one other person who was quite a bit younger than me. And they decided to go with the other person instead of me. So that was an instance of rejection. But that call... Represented a silver lining because they liked my pitch enough that they wanted me to come speak at this other event. It was an event for after school educators, so teachers and people who ran extracurricular programs, they were meeting at that thing, and I got to go speak with them. And that was a really cool experience. Uh, I was a little bit bummed out that I didn't get accepted for the TEDx youth thing, but the thing is, what I really wanted to do was speak publicly. And TEDx Youth is just one event that lets you do that, but it's not the only event that will let you do that. And that's the point I want to make here. If you're trying to do something, it's likely that there is more than one event or avenue through which you can do that thing. So the first one you apply for, if you don't end up getting accepted for it, it doesn't mean you can't keep doing that thing. Another point I want to make here is that I think a lot of people apply to do things because they think they'd be a good fit for it or they think they'd be that it, would be an interesting thing but uh, then they get rejected and they're like, oh well, I can't do it now And my, my question is often why weren't you already doing the thing already or why weren't you already trying your best to do the thing already? I hear a lot of people being like, oh I want to work for IGN someday I really want to be a gaming journalist uh, or I want to work for you know GameSpot or Game Informer or those magazines review video games. And, uh, I'm like, okay, do you have a, do you have a blog where you view games? And they're like, oh, well, no, I don't. That's exactly what you should do. For one, if you want to do something that requires persuading an authority figure or a gatekeeper to let you do it, the best way to persuade that person that you really do care and it's really something you want to go for is to show them you've already been doing it in the past. You've been using whatever resources and avenues that were already available to you before you applied for this big, you know, this big jump to do what you could do. So if you wanted to be a gaming journalist, absolutely you should have your own blog where you're reviewing video games. And absolutely you should be emailing Uh, You know, all these publications saying, hey, can I write like a guest review for you guys? Do you accept freelance content? That way you have this body of work under your belt that you can use to show, yes, I'm serious. Yes, I definitely wanna do this and I have the skills and experience to do it. And even if they reject you, you've been doing it and you can keep doing it. And there's probably gonna be another opportunity down the line that will let you do it. Now, this leads me into an inevitable point I don't want, don't want to sound harsh when I say this, but you are not entitled to everything you want, and life will not always go your way. You're not special. You're not selected to do anything great from birth. You're a person like everyone else, and so am I, and so is everyone else. I'm not special. I have not been selected to do anything. It's simply a matter of the circumstances that I have found myself in through luck, happenstance, um relationships that have been built, key moments in my life and the work that I've put in. But the work that I've put in, the practice that I have invested in making myself better and uh, you know the willingness to go to events and things like that, that increases the likelihood that good things will happen. But it's just important to note that like I'm not entitled to whatever success I've had. it's happened as a result of you know events some of which were in my control, some of which were not in my control. So if you're rejected, you shouldn't take it too personally because it's not like the world conspired against you and it's not like you were completely, you know, 100% responsible for your failure. There's always a spectrum of that. There's some certain percentage of the blame that can be laid at your feet. Maybe you weren't experienced enough. Maybe it was just not the right time for you. Maybe you weren't old enough. There's all these things. And there's some certain percentage of the blame that can be laid on other factors, it wasn't the right time for the organization that you applied with, or if you like asked a girl out, and I don't know, she had a terrible day and she just really wanted to go home and be alone. Like that's not your fault, but it's a balance, right? So uh, I have a few stories about rejection that I can that I can tell. And there was the TEDx Youth thing. I remember the first the first job I ever applied for. Well, the first one I've talked about this before was detasseling corn where you pull the tops off the corn, you walk like 20 miles a day. You can't really get rejected for that job as long as you're old enough because, you know, I think I just, (laughs) I think I just like unvalidated my story. But to tassling, you go in, like you apply in a school lunchroom and as long as you're willing to work and you're old enough, the dude's gonna hire you because they know that more than half the workforce will quit before the season's over, which is sad because only, it's only like a two week season. Um, and I remember my boss, like, he had to do all these things to get people to stay on. He had a pool party at the end of the season that you could go to if you had missed less than two days. And if you only missed one day, you'd get, like, a $50 bonus. And if you missed no days, you'd get a $100 bonus. So I remember I was, like, dead set on never missing a day, never getting sick. So I could get my pool party, get my $100 bonus. But the, uh, the first job I really applied for where I had to do an interview was for a barbecue restaurant. And I remember it was just opening, so they hadn't hired anybody yet. It was replacing a buffet in my town that had burned down, actually. And I applied because I was like, I want a job. I want money. And I can't do, I can't be walking through cornfields during the school year. There's no corn there for the most part. So barbecue restaurant it is. Um, got the interview, and it went great, actually. Um, I just really tried to communicate that I would be a hard worker. I had some experience mowing lawns and doing detasseling. And what ended up happening is they had to reject me because I was only 15 years old. And they needed people who could work until, I believe, like 9 or 10 p.m. at night. And I don't know what the rules are like where you live, but in Iowa, as it turns out, people who are under 16 can't work before, I believe, 3.30, and they cannot be working anywhere after 7 p.m., and in fact, the next job that I applied for, which was a grocery store, and they did hire 15 year olds, they required me to stop working at 645 because uh, I think like any, any minute like that, a under 16 year old kid is working after seven, they will cause the company to get fined. So it's like, they want to be extra safe. So I totally understand why a company wouldn't want to hire somebody under 16 years old, like all the child labor laws. That was an example of a rejection that I didn't have a whole lot of control over Um, there was another one. I remember when I, when I was first going to college, I was trying to find scholarships and I was, I was applying for scholarships for like at least an hour a day, every day that I had a study hall in high school. So I had applied for a ton of them and, uh, de facto, I was rejected from a lot of them because I just never heard anything back. Like they'll tell you to use sites like Capex and, and uh, I think Zinch is one. Um, and, uh. Fastweb is probably the biggest one. And I was just applying for scholarships all over the place, and the big thing about those sites is they're they're open to everyone. So, the competition for those scholarships is just intense because there's so many people applying, and by nature, like most people are going to get rejected from that. So, I got rejected from all of those, but there was one local scholarship at the college that I was going to go to, which is Iowa State University. It was a fraternity that was offering a thousand dollar scholarship, and they mentioned in the scholarship details that you did not have to pledge for the fraternity to win the scholarship, and I was like, awesome. So I applied for it, I got to go to the frat house and uh, have an have an interview with a few of the people who were like on the committee, I guess there were students, but they were also on the committee for selecting the scholarship winners. And we talked about my goals. We talked about my achievements in high school. But they were also like, "Do you plan on rushing this fraternity?" And I said, "Well, no, I don't really plan on being in a frat." And I didn't get the scholarship. Now I can't for sure say why I wasn't picked for that. It's potentially because I wasn't as impressive as some of the other applicants. But I, I do think there is an element of like yes, we will consider people who are not going to rush, but like, if you're going to rush, you'd probably get a little bit more consideration. You know, like just there is probably an inherent bias to like people who seem to be keen to join your thing, right? So, I mean, there's a restric- rejection right there, but that didn't hurt me because I kind of just, I think I rationalized it that way, and I, I think I still do. Um I do remember there was an instance of rejection where it definitely was my fault. Uh Fault is a hard word. Uh, It was definitely because I was not qualified. So I applied for National Honor Society when I was a junior in high school. And high school, middle school, like, like all the regular school for me was pretty easy, to be honest. Like my classwork was never that hard except for some of the honors classes I took. And I was doing like web design in my free time. So I felt that I was doing really well in school. And I was building these websites in my spare time and I was like, yeah, I'm involved in things. I'm doing stuff. I have jobs that I'm in. I had worked a couple jobs at that point. So I applied thinking like, oh, I'm obviously going to get in. I'm in these honors classes and everything. And I didn't get in. And I remember like one of my friends who was a grade below me, she did get in and I didn't. And I was like, what the heck? And I felt really bad about it. Um, but then I realized like I hadn't highlighted my experience doing web development outside of class. Like I didn't really have that at all. I just sort of kept it inside and used it to make myself feel superior. So that was obviously a mistake. And the next year, I applied again. And between my junior year and my senior year, I added a lot of things to my plate that helped my case. I joined an organization called Business Professionals of America, where I won a few events at the state competition. And then I was eventually elected as the treasurer for the state of Iowa and the entire organization. I went to nationals and competed there. And um, had some other things that I also got involved in. I did some volunteer work. And when I applied the second time during my senior year, I actually got in. So there's an example of being able to look at your mistakes or look at what could have caused you to be rejected, pinpointing the ones that you have control over, and then doing what you can to improve over your previous self so then you can apply again. There's a lot of times when you can apply again. So... Uh, that was that was a big one, and um, actually, now that I think about it, College Info Geek was born out of projection. If you listen to, I believe it's episode 11 of the podcast, one of the very early ones, I talked about the story of how College Info Geek basically became a thing, but just a quick recap for you. When I was a freshman, I was doing a job, I was basically, I was what was it called? I was called a cyclone Aid. And basically what that is, is a is a campus-like orientation assistant. So for the new people who are going to be freshmen, it was our job to help them go through freshman orientation, to get signed up for classes, to get tours of the campus, all that stuff. And then we also put together this gigantic freshman year kickoff event. So I got to uh, book a speaker and, and organize a bunch of team leaders who were helping out freshmen. And uh, to do that job, we had to go through an entire semester of training where we learned as much as we could about the university, but also learned how to answer all the common questions that students and parents would ask of uh, of us when we were doing orientation. So I was learning a ton about all these questions students have, and at the time I was also reading this blog called Hack College. And Hack College was essentially like the life hacker for students. It was made by students, a couple of students in a university in California, and then had a team of student writers from all across the nation. And at the end of my freshman year, they said, Hey guys, we are a student run organization, you know, for students by students kind of blog. So the people who are graduating, they're getting the boot. And as a result, we need more writers. So apply. Right. And I'm like, Oh, that'd be cool. I'm, I'm an MIS major, like it tech stuff. So I'm not an English major. It doesn't really make sense for me to have a writing gig, but if I do it, I'll be able to go to recruiters and interviewers and say, here's a thing I did outside of class. Uh, you know, I took the initiative to get a job that wasn't on campus, and uh, I just I figured it would look good in a resume. And also, because I was doing this cyclone aid job, I had all these ideas of how to help students, and I was a big fan of that blog, so I thought it'd be really cool to be a writer for it. So I stayed up for a few hours, uh, really late at night after work writing this article on time management, and I thought this article's great, it's long, it's detailed, it talks about apps that I use. I am obviously going to get this job. I guess it wasn't a job, it wasn't even paid. I'm gonna get this position. So I applied, and I remember like I was I was trying to be really cool, so I was like, I don't need to attach my resume, dudes, here's my LinkedIn, because I had read somewhere on their blog that, that resumes were old hat, LinkedIn was cool, so I thought that I would get some brownie points by doing that, but still, a couple weeks later I got the email saying, hey, We loved your submission, Uh, there were a lot of quality submissions, but unfortunately we can't hire everyone, so we're not hiring you. Sorry, and I was like, well, I stayed up and I made this blog post and I spent so much time on it and I don't want it to go to waste, so what do I do? And that's why I decided to start College Info Geek. I had this post and I was like, I still wanna publish it and they're not gonna publish it and they're not gonna let me write for them, so I'll figure out how to put up a WordPress blog and I will start it on my own. And now, like, obvious silver lining, if I had written for that blog, one, they would have kicked me out after I graduated, but two, a few years later, the uh, the guys who started the blog, they graduated, they were like long graduated, and they had been running the site from behind the scenes, sort of, just like keeping the servers up and everything, and they were like, well, we're basically done, and we kind of moved on in our life. so we're gonna sell the blog. And they sold it, and a new company owns it now, And, uh, you know, it's, it's still active, but it's not as active as it used to be. And in any case, I would have just been a writer for them. Whereas with college info geek, I had to learn everything. I had to learn how to build the site, design it, market it, write, started the podcast that you're listening to right now, started the YouTube channel. Very clearly a better, a better path to take than college info or than, uh, writing for hat college would have been. I have no idea where I'd be right now if I had written for hat college, could be very happy somewhere else, but I know that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today and I really love what I do today. So that's an example of when, you know, rejection turned into something that was actually better. So to end this, I just wanna kind of uh, describe my general feelings when I'm going into a situation where there is potential rejection. Let's use a job interview as an example. When I go into a job interview, Number one, I do my best to prepare as as well as I can. So I will research the company. I know the common behavioral interview questions that they might ask me. I've got an iPad usually with me so I can show off some of my work. I've got like pictures saved just in case the Wi-Fi breaks. I've thought of all the contingencies and everything and I'm ready. But the number one mindset that I go in with is regardless of rejections I've had in the past, I am going to rock this interview and I'm going to get this job. It doesn't matter if I don't get it. Like, realistically, my brain knows they might not select me. It's not guaranteed that I'm gonna get this, but I don't tell myself that. I tell myself, I'm the best possible candidate for this job, I'm awesome at this, they are gonna hire me because I am going to rock this, basically. And I think that mindset has helped a lot. My friend Martin has talked about, uh, in the last episode of the podcast, if you happen to listen to it, this concept called a healthy amount of narcissism. And uh, both both he and I have talked about this with each other at length because we've noticed that like certain of our friends will go into situations like this, like pessimistically, like they just from the start think they're gonna fail. And we've always been the the mindset that, no, I just, you need to believe that you are awesome a little bit. Like you don't wanna be a complete dick about it, right? You don't wanna be too cocky, but you wanna be confident in your abilities and you wanna be confident in the fact that You've done enough, you've learned enough, you've worked hard enough that it's likely you are in the the top 90% of whatever group that is applying for what you're going to apply for. Like you're right near the top. So that's why I tell myself, I'm the best person for this job. Doesn't matter who else is applying, I'm getting it. And when I go into an interview with a company, I don't view it as like, I'm just some sniveling little student who wants to have a job bestowed upon me by the all-powerful overlords of the company and their TPS reports, <coughs> or their, their paper crowns made of TPS reports. No, it's, it's more like I'm going in because I have value that I can give. They have value they can give, the money that they might pay me if I take the job. And we're going to have a conversation to see if we can exchange things of value and if we can have a mutually beneficial relationship, and if I fit in with their culture, if I like their culture, like if it's right for me, all those things, that's how you should go into any situation where you might face rejection. If you're gonna ask somebody out, right? Walk up with confidence and just tell yourself, Not in a cocky way, like this person's obviously going to date me because I'm the hottest thing ever. But no, just like you don't want to go up with the idea that this person's probably going to reject me because it's going to make you nervous. It's going to give you like a negative outlook on the situation. You want to have a positive outlook? Be like, I'm a cool guy, right? I have interesting things to say. This person seems cool too. Let's hang out. That's the mindset to have, I think. There's this negativity bias. Um, It's a integral part of human psychology where negative events and negative things in general occupy more brain space and uh, our, our brains mark them as more important and more vibrant, I suppose, than positive things. So when you remember things in the past, your brain tends to pick out the negative ones and give them more more value, more weighting than the positive events. YouTube is a perfect example. Whenever I put up a video, It'll get like a hundred great positive comments, people saying this is exactly what I needed, everything. Like I love getting those comments. And then there's that one person who's like, this is stupid. And like that person is probably just like high or they just woke up or they're just like a jerk in general. But it doesn't matter because negative things are what my brain latches onto. And that one negative comment can make me can like put me in a bad mood for 20 minutes. It doesn't let me. I don't let myself be, like go into a bad mood for the entire day because I know intrinsically that 99% of the people liked this. That one person's opinion doesn't matter because they're just being a jerk. But it still will put me in a bad mood for a little while, and I'll be sitting there thinking like, "Oh man, I need to come up with some like really witty response because this person is just being a jerk and like it's not even worth my time. I could take that time and apply it to saying thank you to the 99 other people, and that would be a such better use of my time." But I just want to highlight this. Like, This is a, a natural thing for us to do. There's something called the availability heuristic, where when we form a hypothesis or a belief in our minds, and we look back into our past to look for examples that will either confirm it or deny it, the availability heuristic explains how our brains latch on to the events in our past that support the hypothesis. So when you have this negativity bias and this availability heuristic smashing together, your brain remembers all the times you've been rejected and uh oh, is somebody gonna know about that? Is, is that gonna like, is that gonna shine through in my eyes or are they gonna see that I've been rejected in the past and I'm obviously worthless? Like, Your brain will throw those things out there. But you need to realize that if you actually were able to go back into your past and look at every instance in which you applied for something or applied yourself to some certain goal, you probably have achieved more of them than those that you have failed. If I think back to it, that's how my life goes. If I could if I went down and I wrote out every job I've ever applied for, I've gotten more than I've been rejected from. All the scholarship ones, I realize it's a probability problem. There are like 8,000 people applying for a scholarship, even if I'm the top 1%, that's still 80 people. It's a lot of competition. So the probabilities are sometimes against you. And in those cases, you don't need to dwell on the rejection. Just look at the elements of what you can improve on and consciously improve on those things. Last thing I want to mention is that rejection is integral to the process of improving. I don't know if you've seen this because it is my least popular main video, but I made a video about something called the Equal Odds Rule. And the Equal Odds Rule is something that explains the most well-known and highly respected scientists with the most, uh, the most... Impactful papers and publishings and findings are those who also have the highest number of papers that just fell flat on their face or were wrong or failed because the most successful scientists are the ones who just published a ton of stuff. The host of This American Life, Ira Glass, he had this amazing quote that I'll put in the show notes about uh, when you're in a creative field, your taste and your ability to create are not, they're not at the same place. You have this killer taste, but when you're just starting out, and for a long time, your ability to make things doesn't match that taste. The only way to start matching those two things up is to make lots and lots of stuff, and naturally, a lot of that stuff will fail. Some of those things will be rejected by people who judge them. That's just part of the process of getting good at something. So, you can check out the show notes for this episode with some of those things I mentioned at CIGpodcast.com, episode 83. There's also ways to subscribe to the show. I just will mention, if you're on an iPhone, if you have an iPhone, you're happening to listen to this on a web browser or something, the iPhone has a native podcasts app. If you're on an Android phone, there's an uh, app currently called Podcast Addict, which is probably the best free option. However, in the future, I know that Google Play will be adding podcasts natively to all Android phones, and I'm really excited about that because... Finally, both main smartphone platforms will have a native podcast app pre-installed, so that's pretty cool to think about on the horizon. But Podcast Addict is your Android solution now. And if you want to support the show, writing a review on iTunes and leaving a rating definitely helps bump it up the charts, shows it to more people, and that makes me pretty happy and helps more students find this show. So hopefully you found this episode helpful. I'll see you next week, and as always, stay cute.